in our message here tonight, the Bible study is in two parts, two different parts to it. And uh, I want you to turn with me to Revelation 14 here. And I'm going to read from verse 6 through 7. Verse 6 to 7 in Revelation 14. Revelation 14. And uh, look at these verses here. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel. Notice that. An angel flying in, in heaven with the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. This is Gentiles. So here's an angel here now that's preaching the everlasting gospel. Look at verse 7 saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And so the message here, very simple here, is saying that there is a, an angel that goes forth here in the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation to preach the everlasting gospel. Everlasting gospel. The gospel is the good news. It is the coming of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven on earth, in which the gospel that was preached and has been preached uh, is, re is recorded. Uh, the Bible says in one place, Paul said, if anyone else, even an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel other than that that I preach unto you, let him be accursed. And he repeats that twice in two different verses. I uh, won't turn there and read that, but I'm just telling you here, that this scripture here is unusual because it talks about an angel preaching the gospel. Very unusual because God never chose angels to preach the gospel. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked to you here in our Bible lesson about uh, the Lord speaking the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai and scaring the children of Israel half to death with his voice, with the thundering and the lightning and his words coming out of heaven, speaking those Ten Commandments unto them. And when they, got all, when they got through, they were trembling and shaking, nervous. And they said to Moses, ask the Lord not to speak to us anymore like that. Let him tell you what he wants us to do and you tell us. And so they, they said that later on, the Lord said to Moses, tell the children of Israel, I'm going to send to them one day a prophet that would be like unto you and they will have to hear him. Speaking of Jesus Christ that would come. And he went on to say, I'm doing it according to their request. No more will I speak to man myself, but I will send someone that they may speak. Now all through the Old Testament, the prophets would come and say, thus saith the word of the Lord. And they would speak to the people to refurbish and to re, to, re, uh, to reemphasize and to strengthen the Ten Commandments and all the teachings of Moses under the law. Not just the Ten Commandments, all of it. Uh, they say there's about 800, not about, I think there's 813 of the commandments of the Old Testament that they had to keep. Now, the Lord chose preachers to do that. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this because God chose mankind, men or women in some cases too. God chose men to preach the gospel on this earth. He chose that. And all of his divine plans of redemption for us, he chose to use men in order to carry forth the gospel. God chose, uh, chose to use men in the great plan of redemption of mankind. It's, it's strange and not, not strange, it's just the way God did it. But he chose to use us to help us to be saved. In other words, he chose man to help other men to find God to be saved. I'm talking about men and women when I say man. That's the word generally used in the Bible like that, mankind. This was done by the preaching of the gospel of Christ. And the preaching of the gospel of Christ was instituted that the gospel may go forth 
by the lips of men that they, others might receive the gospel and be saved. Now, I'm going to give you some scripture here just to put a real good solid foundation on what we're talking about here. And I want you to look with me, if you would, in Matthew 28, 19. And this is the first place that is mentioned about the Lord telling his disciples to go forth, his apostles at this point, to go forth, preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles. Before that, it was only to the Jews. And when Jesus was on this earth, his ministry was primarily to the Jews. And then he was crucified. He rose the third day and then was on seen on this earth about 40 days. And at the end of that 40-day period, Jesus ascended into heaven. This is all recorded in the first chapter of the book of Acts and also spoken of here in the book of Mark. And this is what the Lord said I'm reading here in 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now he's commanding his disciples what to do now and giving them instructions on what they have to do. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's the Gentile world. Baptizing them in the name, a singular, one name. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, says there's, only, there's one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'll go, go on and finish reading here. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. So there's only one name, and it is not three persons in the Godhead. There's three manifestations of the one God. God was manifested. That means made himself known in three different ways. Not persons involved. Pers word person was a was a uh, fabricated word that was introduced uh, by some of the church leaders in the early church period of time around 300 AD. And I won't get into that tonight. But uh, he said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then he says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Teaching them to observe all things. So there was a responsibility given unto these men to go forth and preach the gospel. Now, Mark uh, records the same thing. <clears throat> he says it this way, and I'm reading here in Mark 16, 15. That's your, your next verse. Let me give you, a, put a pen up there. This is Mark 16 and uh, 18 and 19 that we're going to read to you here. Uh, 15 and Mark, uh, six, chapter 16, verse 15, I'm sorry. And he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And so this is where he gave them the commission. I might just read that 17th verse as well. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. So this is also a prophecy of the speaking in tongues whenever the Holy Ghost would come upon them. Another verse of scripture that I'll give you where that this literally happened with the Gentile world. And I want you to look at this very closely here because this shows us that God had intended to use mankind to preach the gospel. I have a reason for telling you all of this. Verse t chapter 10, verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea, this is Acts 10, 1, called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He was an Italian, therefore he was a Gentile. And then goes on to say, he's a devout man and prayed much, so forth. Now, the third verse, he saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day. That's between two and three o'clock in the afternoon. He saw an angel of the Lord coming in to him and saying unto him, Cornelius, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and ye shall be saved. Is that what the angel said? No. Is that what the angel said? No. Now, here is Cornelius praying. And an angel appears unto him, and it would be so simple for the angel just to tell him what he's got to do. But look what the angel says to him. I'm going to jump down to verse 5 to save time here. And now send to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter, and he lodged with one Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Notice that. The angel that God sent to Cornelius never told him what he had to do to be saved because he was not given the job of preaching the gospel. It was given unto mankind. And then he was said, go to, and Peter would tell you what to do to be saved. I'm picking up over here uh, just, just to sort of finish up the touches here. 
over in the, still in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts in verse 42. And he commanded us, uh, he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which has ordained of God to be the judge and the quick of the dead. And so then he began to preach unto them and Peter began to preach unto them the commandment of the Lord. And it goes on to say that for the second verse, he commanded us to preach unto the people. In other words, Jesus commanded us, Peter speaking here, commanded us to preach the gospel. So it's given unto men then therefore the requirement to preach the gospel that the world might be saved. Folks, that has not changed. You understand what I'm saying? The word still has to go forth. That's why we have a job to do. When I say we, I'm talking about the human race and the people that are saved and everything. And that is that we cannot be silent. We can't be quiet. We get saved and just shut down ourselves. We have to keep on telling everybody we can. We have to keep on speaking the word because God has ordained that way in, in which men might be saved. Praise God. Now, I'm going to move on a little further here. Look at Romans 10. Romans 10, that's the next line here. And if you look at Romans 10, I'm reading verse 13. Romans 10, 13. Paul writing here says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, thank God for that. How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? That's true. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So he is saying here that it's essential that the gospel be preached, that men might hear the word, believe on the Lord, and be saved. Verse 15, and how shall they preach, verse 15 here, except they be sent? God has to send them that they may go forth and preach the gospel. And verse 17 sort of wraps it up. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God, of course, is that that is preached unto mankind. Now, I'm going to go to the next verse here that you've got. I know I'm reading a lot of verses, but I'm just showing you here how much it is emphasized that preaching of the word by mankind was so uh, essential, is still essential and is ordained of the Lord. Verse 21, this is, a, this is 1 Corinthians 1, 21, chapter 1, verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, look at the next line here, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. By the foolishness of preaching. Here preaching is, is just referred to here as just a simple foolish thing. God chose a foolish thing. Just men being anointed and shouting it out and declaring it and, uh, you know, and just preaching the word with all of their heart. Praise God. God's chosen that. God's chosen that. You say, oh, I don't like preaching. Well, too bad. That's what God's chosen for people to be saved. Oh, I don't like preachers. Too bad because God's called them and filled them with his, his spirit and anointed them to preach the word and even gives them the word to preach behind the pulpit. Praise the Lord. I dare say that every one of us sitting here tonight at one time or another can honestly, honestly say that there's been times when the preacher preached and he preached something right straight at me. Preached something right straight at me. And uh, the Lord knows how to use the word to reach us and to talk to us and to reach our heart and soul. Praise the Lord. Now I'll go to the next, another verse here of scripture. And uh, that's the one that we're looking at here in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. This is where Paul talks to Timothy about the need and necessity of him preaching the gospel. Now both Timothy and Titus were younger ministers under Paul. And so Paul here in his latter books here is admonishing them to be faithful in this call to preach the gospel. So chapter four, verse one, 2 Timothy four and verse one and two, I'm gonna read these two verses. I charge thee therefore before God 
and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, is what he told Timothy. Verse two, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Instant means to be ready to do it in season and out of season. When you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. When you feel anointed, when you don't feel anointed. Whenever it's, it's the right time and it's not the right time. Maybe you're not feeling so good yourself, but still it needs to be preached and preach the gospel. Praise the Lord. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Notice that all long suffering. This is not just uh, free for all to just to lay it out there on people. That's not what it's all about. Long suffering and doctrine. Doctrine is, is uh, what we believe is our teachings. Praise the Lord. And then finally, I'm going to finish it up here by reading the last one in Titus. That's found in your notes as well. And that's the last verse here under the Lord here, uh, commenting on preaching and how that he's chosen men to do it. And I'm going to read this. And there's many other verses of scripture, but we've just chose these few. Look at one and three. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. His word manifested. That means made known his word. That means to mankind, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. And he's talking here to Timothy. That's what's given to me, and I preach the word. Paul said another place, he said, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. So I'm just pointing out to you here that the Lord, amen, wanted them to know that the... Uh, Preaching of the word was very essential. God appointed men. He ordained it. And so for 2,000 years now, the gospel has gone forth into the Gentile world by the mouth of men. And of course, sometimes ladies. God uses women as well. But men is his primary source, and you and I both know that. But sometimes the Lord uses women because they have the gift or the talent or God sees something in them that he can use, and he does. So that's fine. But I'm just pointing out to you here that God has chosen we of the human race to reach we of the human race, the people of the human race. Praise the Lord. And so it's not angels. So we come to part two here. So why did God send an angel in Revelation 14, 6, and 7? Let's go back to that verse of scripture again. We're going back to our original scripture here. And this is where the Bible talks about is seen in heaven. And it is the 14th chapter, verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to care into every nation and knowledge and tongue and people. That's the Gentile world. And the Lord said, here's the angels go and preach. Why did God use the preacher? And the reason is because there is no more preachers left on earth. Do you know why? They've been raptured. They've been caught away. They've been caught up in the glory. Praise the Lord. And yet God is reaching out one more time to these people. Now the Lord is no longer working with the Gentiles at what is called the time of the Gentiles, but he's working with the Jews, but Gentiles can be saved through the Jews, by the gospel of the Jews. That all starts in the 11th chapter. It's in the 12th chapter. 13th chapter talks about the Antichrist. And the last verse in chapter 13 is all about the Antichrist. Then you go into chapter 14 here, and it's talking about all these events that's happening. And all of a sudden, an angel, an angel is preaching because there's no more men that's righteous, that's good. And yet God is reaching one more time. Now listen to me closely on this because what I see here is God's extended grace to reach the human race. One more time. No more preachers left. All the preachers have been raptured. The rapture's taken place. They, though that with those that are saved have gone to the rapture. Those that would be saved are now in. They've all been caught up together. Praise the Lord. The Bible talks about that. I won't go into detail on it. But we're into the tribulation period in which everything's happening. And yet God reaches one more time, folks. Listen to me closely. He reaches one more time.
to try to reach people that they may humble themselves, believe in God, call upon the Lord, cry out to God, and that they might have eternal life, that God would give him and grant them that if they would call upon him. And uh, this is where the Lord does that. So there's no more preachers, no more men, no more men around, no more anybody that preach the gospel. So he sends an angel to preach the gospel as God's last effort to reach man because the judgments of God are going to come rapidly after this. And he says, if you just turn to me and be saved. And of course, there's a lot of them that are killed for the slain for the word of God, the testimony which they hold in, those, in that period of time. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about this because it's amazing what God is going to do. And folks, let me just say this. We're talking about a time that will follow the rapture of the church. We're talking about a time that follow the rapture of the church. I don't have the time to get into this tonight, but there's things happening in the world today that lets me know we're nearing the end. Amen. We're nearing the end. I don't know if you know, but CNN this past week, just a few days ago, they put forth a, a, an article, CNN on TV and also and, and some of the print, the printing work, uh, that they have discovered that the Soviet Union, that Russia rather, not the Soviet Union because they're dissolved, it's Russia now, that Russia has a secret nuclear plant in the Arctic Ocean that's off the coast, northern coast of, of Russia. And it's, it's, it's camouflaged, it's covered with ice and snow and everything. But they have developed, they are developing new nuclear weapons there. They have developed a new torpedo, a torpedo that's a nuclear torpedo that is able to be sent for thousands of miles under the water because it's nuclear powered and it's got a nuclear warhead on it. And it can go down into the depths and it can follow the bottom of the ocean, no matter how deep it is and everything. And it can hit land area and it can send a tsunami create a tsunami so vast, so destructive, it can send a tsunami. This is in CNN, CNN. It can send a tsunami in that area and it's radioactive and will be radioactive for 150 years along that coast, whatever coast they send it on. They can send several of these and just blanket a whole coast like this and make it radioactive instead of tsunami, which means that water is washed up on the shore, covering houses and land, buildings, cities, whatever it might be there. You know what a tsunami is. It's when the big tidal wave comes up and comes over the, over the, over the hide or over the city or town or village or whatever it is and just wipes it out. But I'm just trying to tell you here, this is all developed. And they said not only that torpedo, but other nuclear weapons and bombs and things that they are designing and they're making there. And the U.S. government is becoming very concerned. Now, some of our news media, they're yakety, 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 yak all about politics. But these are things that you don't always see or read about, but it's there, it's going on. Another thing that's going on in the world, I'm just telling you that it's time that we're getting close to the end time when God's going to take the church out of here. And yet God has, is going to extend mercy and grace to people after the rapture, that those that will listen, that can be saved, it may take their life, it may be require them giving their life, but the Lord is going to show mercy even beyond the time that we are here now can, can be saved and be ready to go in the rapture. But there is a, a situation going on in Israel now, and Israel is stepping up its nuclear-powered facilities and powers and bombs and things because... Uh, Israel says that with Russia joining up with Iran, joining up with Iran, and Iran having the wanting to get the nuclear bomb, and, and Israel knowing that they are the target for that, with all of this going on, uh, Israel says we cannot just sit back and be complacent about it. We have got to be on our toes. And they know that not only Iran but also Syria and also Lebanon. Not only Iran, but Iraq is also going to be pulled into that. I can show you in the scripture in the eighth chapter of the book of Daniel 
where all this will come about will take place. That's, that's another lesson in prophecy I won't get into. But what I'm trying to tell you here today, folks, is these things are developing right now. They're developing in the world. And you and I just can't be complacent. This is one of the dangers of the last church, the Laodicean church. You know, the Ephesus, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Theodore, Thyatira, Sardis, and Laodicea. That's the seventh church in the, in the uh, third chapter of the book of Revelation. That's the third chapter. And these are not only churches that actually existed in that western Turkey area called Asia, Asia back then. But it also represents periods of time in the church age. So that Ephesus represented the first part of the church age. It didn't, the next one, the next one, next one. And Laodicea represents the last period of time of the church age. And it says that one of their faults and failures is that they will be uh, lukewarm. And that they will be sort of indifferent. And they will be rich and laid back and say, we have no need of anything. And because they can feel that way, they feel they're secure. We are not as secure in America as we think we are. There is a social element that's working in America big time right now. It is going on, folks. And I'm just trying to tell you here today, praise the Lord, if there's ever been a time we need to be serious about our walk with God, if there's ever been a time we need to reach out to others, it's now. If there's ever been a time you want to talk to your loved ones, and your unsaved children, unsaved relatives, unsaved friends, and say, look, don't play around with God. It's time to get right with God because we don't know how much time we have left, and we want to be ready to go when Jesus comes. The Bible says when Jesus comes, the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's those that have already gone on. <coughs> Here's me. <coughs> wow. Get a drink of water. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I get talking so fast sometimes. I get strangled here a little bit. <clears throat> but I'm just trying to say here that if there's ever been a time that we need to be right with God, it's now. And our time is running out now. I'm going to put some emphasis on this part about God's extended grace because this shows to me God's great love for the human race. He really wants people to be saved. He wants us to be saved. Praise the Lord. He wants your friends, your relatives, your loved ones to be saved. He wants them to be saved. And the Lord is reaching out and he's doing everything that he can about it. I'm going to uh, go to that scripture here that's found in Ephesians. Ephesians 2 and uh, 4. Uh, let me get, get to that very quickly here. All right, here we go. Ephesians, uh, this is where it speaks about God's grace. <clears throat> Look at 2 and 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. By grace. Grace, God's grace is the unearned merit of God, the unearned favor. We never deserved it. We never had a right to it. Uh, we never did anything to earn it. But God, just through his love, mercy, and kindness to us, has given us his grace. Grace is his redemptive power. It's his dying on Calvary, the shedding of his blood. Sometimes you get a chance to reread the crucifixion. And sometimes if you want to really just read all four gospels of the crucifixion, just read it over again sometime. The agony and the suffering that he went through for us, for us. And I never can read it without feeling, Lord, how much you loved us that you did that. Praise the Lord. You took upon yourself flesh. You came among us. You who knew no sin took upon yourself our sins and you died on the cross for us. The crown of thorns in his head, the spitting in his face, the slapping of his face, the plucking out of his beard, uh, the, uh, the whipping of the whip. I mean, it's almost like for sport. They put a 
They put a, 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 purple, a purple robe on him and laughed at him and mocked at him and scoffed him. Then they took the robe off and then they beat him. They beat him with a whip. They beat him in the face with a, with a whip. It even talks about that. All of these things Jesus suffered for us. He didn't have to. He did it for us because he loves mankind. He loves the human race and he wants us to be saved. But that's his grace, but it is through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. We have to believe the Lord. We have to say, Lord, you did it for me. I'll repent of my sins. I want to be baptized in your name. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to be your child. I want to walk with you. I want to serve you in this life. I want to leave the world behind and walk with you, God. And I will believe and trust you in all the things that you want to do with me and in my life on this earth. Praise the Lord. We have to be able to do that and be willing to do it that we might have the wonderful blessings and the wonderful spirit of God in our hearts and our lives. Praise the Lord. God wants to do it. That's his grace. Now, I'm going to go to Noah's Ark here for a moment. This is interesting. I'm going to show you where God's grace was extended to Noah. <clears throat> Praise God. This is uh, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. I'm reading the fifth verse here. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the condition of the world that the Lord saw in Noah's day before Noah was ever built the ark. Verse 8 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God saw and gave him grace. Praise the Lord. We went on to say in that ninth verse that Noah walked with God. I'm going to verse 11 because I want to point out something to you here. The earth also was corrupt before God. Look at that, corrupt. And the earth was filled with violence. You see that word violence? Earth was filled with violence. And the Lord looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And I behold, and I will destroy them with the, with the earth. Now, let me just say one thing here today. This world is getting very violent. I don't know, I'm going to speak to our men here for a moment, but all the things they show you on TV that has to do with like, you know, they got what they call chick flicks, is that right? Movies or stories about that women like. We're a lot of talking, a lot of talking, a lot of talking. Drives men crazy just to hear all the conversations going on. You men don't want to talk about you women. We can laugh at it. But men have a tendency to want to see, to shoot them up, bang, bang, all that kind of stuff. Folks, that's violence. That's violence. And it's getting more violent. All your stories, all your movies, I mean, it's getting where you can't look at anything hardly on TV without you seeing violence. And I, I can't help but think of what it was in the days of Noah. People just, and you, they sit there and they just eat it up, you know, just bang, bang, bang. Everybody falling dead and shooting and kidding. They killing, they do all kind of whack around, they beat up, they kick. I mean, it, it, it just gets bad, you know. It's not sometimes shooting. It's all kind of other ways that they kill. But that's violence. And we can't thrive on that. Otherwise, that shows how we are and how we feel and the way we look at it and we laugh at it we we like it we smile it no 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 that's when you ever need to pick up the your, your thing and shut it off i'm telling all of you don't don't watch that violence up because that was one of the characteristics in noah's day okay i'm going to move on that was just for free i just threw that in all right i'm going to talk to you a little bit more about noah here because the lord had him to build the ark I'm going to go to verse 22 very quickly. Thus did Noah, according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. The Lord told him how to build it, what to do, exactly what to do. Then take all the animals inside and not take them in, just open the door. And God put the animals in. They just went two by two. God put it in their hearts to go. Look at uh, 7 and 1. Chapter 7, verse 1 of Genesis now we are in. 
And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Verse 4, For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon thee. Yet seven days. I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days, forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. Now I'm going to jump down a little bit further here on verse 10 to show you here. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. But not until seven days after Noah and his family had gone in. Now when it came time and Noah had everything inside, he had all the food and incidentally, the animals sort of went into hibernation for that year that they were in there for almost a year, about a year. They were in that ark, and the Lord put them in hibernation, just like bears go into hibernation in wintertime. God put them in hibernation in a fashion. And uh, yet, there was food enough for the animals. There was also food enough for Noah and his family and all for that period of time. God told them exactly how much steak they did. And they all went into the ark. And the Bible finally says in one place, uh, in verse 16, it says, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord, when he finally shut the door, he shut him in. That's the 16th verse. You look at the very bottom. And the Lord shut him in. The Lord closed the door. But until that time, the door stood wide open. Now get the picture here. Noah and his family and these animals are all inside the ark. The ark's been, they've been working on it for 120 years. They, they lived a long time, you know, hundreds of years back in those days. Noah was 600 years, incidentally, when all this happened. And they were, they were living a long time. They worked on it for 120 years. And the people would say, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. God's going to send a flood. If you want to be saved, you've got to get in the ark. Really? Right? Ha <laughs> ha. Well, yeah, well, I bet you. Yeah. What? You're going to cover all the, all the earth? Yeah, you know. And, and it was all kinds of mockers, but they kept on working. They kept on doing it. Finally, they pitched it all out. Everybody got curious. Finally, all the animals started going in. Everybody's looking. Man, what's going on with Noah? He's sitting out here in, in a, in, up on a hill, in a dry place. And he's going to, I mean, there's, there's no water around for a long ways yet. There's no sea or lake or nothing around here. And he's got this, uh, he's got this big boat. And then Noah and his family go inside. And there's nobody in there. I mean, there's, no, there's nothing going on. And they go there and they look inside like this. And they said, Noah, you in there? And they look at each other. I, th I know he's in there. But why are the doors wide open? Next day, there's a little bigger crowd. They gather around. They said, the door's still open. And somebody said, well, you could go ahead on in if you want to, if you don't, if you want to believe. No, I don't believe that story. I don't, I'm not, you know, I want to stay out here. I want to, we're having a wedding here tomorrow, you know. And so they, 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 you know, Bible, I'm, I'm recording scripture here. They, they were given in marriage, you know. Days of Noah, as it was the days of Noah, so shall it be a day because they, they were bearing and giving in marriage. That's what I'm referring to. Now, here's this scene. Day two happens. Day three Think about it. Day four, day five, the door is wide open and nothing's happening. And Noah and his family is inside. And they all go up there and they're looking. And every day they have a chance to go inside the ark and be with, with Noah and his family. Any man could have said to his wife, let's go ahead and go inside. Let's just... Let's believe the Lord. The, the, the ark is a type of the church, folks. It's a type of the church. And the Lord, praise the Lord, if you want to get in the good old ship of Zion, get in the church. I don't mean the church building. I'm talking about the body of Christ, the called out ones. Praise the Lord, the spiritual church of God on this earth. And you've got to be in that church just like they were in that ark. And for seven days, God left that door open for them to go there and to, you know, go inside. And I can just imagine in my own little thinking, in my own mind, them going there and looking in, 
peering through there. Noah, are you still in there? Noah, are you, you still, you're not coming out? Noah, why is the door still open? You know, if there's going to be a flood, why is the door still open? You know, day five, six, day seven, and when day seven came, amen, that was the end of it. And all of a sudden, that door was shut. And it would shut fast, and it was all over with. Now, I'm just trying to say here that that was an extended grace to that generation of people. You understand what I'm saying? And what this angel flying through the midst there was preaching the gospel when it's not his job to preach the gospel, but it's God's extended grace for somebody to say, yes, Lord, we believe in you. We know you created the heavens and the earth. You made everything that exists, God. Please forgive me of my sins. And it's God's extension, just a little extension there that he gave that they might be saved. And when I see these things, I can't help but to say, God, how, how merciful you are. Not only have you made a way and given us years to get saved, but even when the door is closed, not the door of the ark, but the door of salvation is closed, the Lord gives an extension a little bit more like he did with the angels, praise the Lord. Now, let me go a little bit further here. God did this also for individuals here. I want you to go, uh, I want you to go down to number three here. And uh, I know my time's getting away here. Go to the number three here. And I want, to look, I want you to look at Hezekiah here for a minute. This is individual extensions of grace. God gives individual extensions of grace. This is found in 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and, he, uh, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. This is uh, chapter 1, verse 20 of 2 Kings. Verse 2, Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, Verse 3, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Verse 4, and it came to pass afore Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Turn again. And tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day, thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. And I will add unto thy days, verse 6, 15 years, 15 years, and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city, look at this closely, for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. I'm going to give you 15 years. I'm going to defeat this Assyrian army that's going to come against you. But it's not going to be you that does, and I'm not keeping you alive so that you can do it. I want you to know I'm the one that's going to defeat the Assyrian. But I'm just being merciful to you. And the Lord in his mercy, in his grace, just gave this guy 15 more years. 15 more years. And then it goes on to say, you know, over here, finally in that last verse, the 21st verse of that 20, 20th chapter, and Hezekiah slept uh, with his father's. And Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. And so he had 15 more years, 15 more years that God gave him just simply because he asked God for it and God extended it to him. Why did God do it? I don't know, just his mercy and his goodness and his grace. And the Lord just said to Isaiah, Isaiah, before you even leave the courtyard of that, that king's palace, before you ever leave, go back in and tell the king, I'm going to give him 15 more years. Isn't the Lord just merciful like that? Just to a guy that he does that for. Praise the Lord. Now, I've got just a few minutes here, and I'm going to wrap this up here. One more I want to talk to you about, and this is Lot's wife. I mean, Lot's family, Lot and family. Uh, look at Genesis. 
I'm, I guess I'm thinking of Lot's way. Uh, this is Genesis now. This is where the Lord appeared unto Abraham in the 18th chapter and said, Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and all five, listen to me closely on this, all five of the cities of the plains. I'm going to wipe them out because they're corrupt. Sodom was given over to homosexuality. Anybody wants to know what their problem was. They were given over to homosexuality. Gomorrah might have been the same or it could have been just given over to adultery and fornication or whatever it was, just gross sins that these people lived in. And it was horrible. And so in the 18th chapter, uh, Abraham bargains with God because he's trying to spare those cities, hoping that Lot living there would have converted some of those people. And he asked God, God, if there's 50 righteous, would you spare it? And he says, yes, would you do it for 40, 30? He keeps bargaining with God down to 10. And he finally says, Lord, if there's 10 people in the city that's righteous, will you spare the city? And the Lord said, yes. Unfortunately, that was not even 10. Two angels, two angels went to the city then. They went there and Lot says, why don't you come inside, stay in my house, we'll take good care of you, blah, blah, you feed you the next day, you go on your way. The two angels who looked like just a couple of men that had come there, they said, no, we stay out here in the street. No, 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 it's too dangerous, can't you? I stay out in the street here. He didn't tell him why, but it was because these was, he were perverts that would come after them. So he took them in the house. <clears throat> they came to the door that night and they uh, wanted those two angels and everything. So the angels just did like this. <clears throat> And all those men at the door became blind and they all couldn't see and they began to go around feeling the walls and trying to find out where they were. The interesting thing is what happened the next day. That the men, verse 12, I'm going to jump to 12 real quick and then I'm going to go on down to 17. This is Genesis 19, 12. And the men said unto, unto Lot, hast thou here thy, besides son-in-laws and their sons and daughters and whatever they have, never go tell them. So they went and tried because the first, first 13, for we will destroy this place. <clears throat> the Lord will destroy it. And then he goes on to say, he went out and tried to get them. They didn't. Finally, <clears throat> verse 15. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, whatever is here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And verse 16 says, And while he lingered, the men laid a hold on his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hands of the two daughters, and the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. It was like Lot was dragging his feet. And the Lord was just, the angels were really hastening about. Verse 17, I'm going to pick up this now. This is where our lesson picks up here. And this is uh, Genesis 19, 17. Look what it says here. Came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Now look what happens in verse 18. And Lot said, he, he's still just not with it like. And Lot said unto him, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight and has found grace and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast shown unto me in saving my life and I cannot escape to the mountains. I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil take me and I die. I, I don't want to go up in the mountains because it may be, you know, lion, mountain lion or some animal or something, I mean, bear or whatever. Verse 20, behold now this, this city near to flee unto, and it is a little one, the smallest of the five cities. Look at this. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? That's the small city. It was the city of Zor, Z-O-A-R, which is brought out in verse 22. And, he, and my soul shall live. Let me go to that little city. In other words, five cities God was going to destroy, but one of them was a small city called Zorah. Just let me go to that city and spare that city because I don't want to go to the mountains. And the dangers could have said, hey, Lot, you better go to the mountains here. You're going to get burnt and wiped out with the rest of it. He could, they didn't do that. Look what happens here. Uh, look at verse 21. 
And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, and I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. They call them cities, but actually they're little villages, what they were. The cities is the language they use to us. The city is a big, it's a big place. Haste thee, escape hither, for I cannot do anything till thou hast come hither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zorah. <clears throat> Verse 23, and the sun was right risen upon the earth when Noah entered into Zorah. Verse 24, and this is what happened. Then the Lord reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plains and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. And then it goes on to say in verse 26, but Noah, but his wife looked back from behind him and she turned into a pillar of salt. And uh, it goes on to say down in verse 28, whenever he saw the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, verse 30, and Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountain. <laughs> When he saw what happened, he said, I'm getting out of Zorah even. I'm getting out of here. But I'm trying to show you here God's extended grace <clears throat> to Lot because he said, can I just go to Zorah? Now, I've said all of that, and I know I've done a lot of reading of Scripture here to you folks. I'm just trying to show you here how much God loves us. God loves the world. He wants, the people, to, he wants people to be saved. He wants your neighbor to be saved. And I know some people are wicked and mean and violent and corrupt and everything. God will deal with them and judgment is coming. But until it does, God is trying to reach everybody that he can. And that has to be our heartbeat as well. We have to say, Jesus, speak to us, use us. Pray sometimes and ask God to lay somebody on your heart. You know, we used to sing a song, God lay a soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And let me ever do my part to win that soul to thee. You know, this is a song we used to sing. And God help us to pray and say, God, lay some soul on my heart. It may be somebody where you work, somebody that place where you shop and you, you meet and this helped you with buying some articles and things that you buy or whatever. It can be all kinds. It can be a friend. Uh, listen, but God wants us to try to reach the world because he's reaching them and our time is running out and it won't be long until things begin to really pop and happen. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you know the Lord? Can we stand together and worship him and praise him and thank him together? God bless you. You've been a good audience here tonight. Jesus, we thank you and love you, God. Magnify your wonderful name. Thank you for your blessings and goodness. Thank you for your extended grace that you have shown over the years and your extended grace, Lord, even in the last days that you will do by sending an angel, an angel, Lord, to preach to mankind. God, we thank you for your greatness, your goodness, your love, your mercy, your, your long-suffering toward us, Lord. Bless this congregation and all the classes that have been in session. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.